0: Sometimes called 3D printing, additive manufacturing is on the cutting edge of technological advancements in building construction. To create a structure, builders start with digital designs and then deploy large-scale industrial 3D printers and locally sourced materials to create structures layer upon layer until the model is completed. Just one exciting use case of this technology is being leveraged by NASA and Jacobs to create habitable structures on the Moon and Mars using lunar and Martian regolith as part of the next slate of interstellar missions. Now, we're seeing growing momentum to put this technology to work for building needs here on Earth. Hello, I'm your host, Paul Thies, and in this episode of If-Win, we explore additive manufacturing with Dr. Patrick Sermon, Department Head and Associate Professor Charles Dewey McMullen, Chair in Construction Science at Texas A&M University, and Kurt Maldivan, Jacobs, Global Director, Digital Delivery Solutions. Patrick and Kurt, thank you both so much for joining today. I'm looking forward to talking with you about additive manufacturing. Uh, It really is a a fascinating development in construction, and I've been learning a little bit about it, but I'm really looking forward to hearing from you more about it and, and sharing your insights. So, Patrick, to start and kind of set the table for our listeners, You know, can you tell us what is additive manufacturing and could you describe it, you know, for someone who may be new to the technology?
1: Yeah, definitely. Thanks, Paul. I think the best way to define it is using the ASTM ISO standard 52900, which came out in 2015. And it's easy to see why people would be confused because even within the first few sentences of that standard, they say that additive manufacturing is actually three different things and the thing uh, of those three that people most usually identify with additive manufacturing is actually the last one which is additive shaping using some kind of a feedstock maybe extruded plastic filament in a maker bot 3d printer is probably what a lot of people see these in Mm -hmm. uh, k through 12 and definitely in our college of architecture and department of architecture uh, we have lots of these maker spaces where people can do rapid prototyping but really, there's also subtractive shaping and formative shaping. So even starting with a large block of something like a CNC machine and mm-hmm. e- extracting things from it until you have the item, that is also con- considered additive manufacturing. And then that last one would just be like adding directed energy or just doing densification or seaming things. And But primarily through additive manufacturing, people usually associate that with 3D printing Mm-hmm. Uh, or the smaller scale extruded plastic filament uh 3D printing.
0: It's kind of fascinating. You made me think of that old Michelangelo quote, you know, it's uh he he saw a block of marble and he just carved until he released the angel within it, you know. So, uh, it's kind of interesting. I, I never thought of additive manufacturing as also something where you're taking like raw material and you're chipping away at it until you have like a finished product. So, so what problems are being addressed you know by additive manufacturing how is it uniquely situated to solve for those
1: well it's it's you got to look at the scale of the additive manufacturing approach that you're using leading up to this i was thinking about really in construction it's a 2 or 3 trillion dollar industry and you need every single tool in the toolbox in order to make it happen and and it could just be The material they're using, but especially Mm. for large scale construction, which I think is primarily what we'll be focusing on today, is typically a a cementitious material that is placed in usually layers. Like imagine a a cake being decorated from the bottom up. This is typically what people think about when they think of 3D printed additive manufactured Mm. construction. And if you look at that workflow and you compare it to the traditional concrete truck and formwork and all of the work that goes into building the building on the outside, then Mm -hmm. cast in place concrete for the building, then stripping the formwork, far less labor, far less waste, far quicker, and in an ideal world, much safer, less labor, using people's brains instead of their brawn. Mm-hmm. And so all the things that we hope to get rid of in the dull, dirty, and dangerous world of construction—it's—it's it, it's been described as the panacea. But I, obviously, as we talk about it here, I mm-hmm. think you'll see that it's still emerging, but it's exciting with the realm of the possibility that it could help solve.
0: Mm, that's interesting, and I bet there probably—and you know—we may not get much into it today. But I—I I bet there are probably some synergies to be had with like generative design as well, so that when you're using additive manufacturing. You know, like you were saying, as far as like proper wa- uh, waste management, you're not, you know, so you're using your resources to the optimal effect and you're not that additive in manufacturing is allowing you to use resources without a bunch of superfluous uh, material.
2: I think I see it three different advantages, uh, one or two of me to touch on, but mm-hmm. for additive manufacturing, generally speaking, it can be a lower cost. It's faster and mm-hmm. it's more sustainable so the cost savings is derived derived from using in situ resources
0: mm-hmm.
2: or ISRU or simply local materials mm-hmm. then you have the ability to construct more in the same amount of time due to automation and then thirdly it's also more sustainable due to less waste mm-hmm. and using those locally sourced materials that you don't need to transport or or it can be less energy intensive in terms of process and then beyond this with additive construction it can be computer controlled, so the design isn't limited to a simple box, and you can then create much more organic design, which then has other benefits that we'll touch on a little bit later. I believe.
0: Mm, okay, that is fascinating. That you know, it's, it allows you to use the uh, the in situ uh, resources, and you know, so that you are properly managing your resources. Are there any challenges, Kurt, to using additive manufacturing that still need to be overcome? perhaps like structural integrity challenges, building code challenges, anything like that?
2: Absolutely. I think Pat mentioned the ASTM standard, Mm -hmm. but the biggest question that we had internally when when we first started investigating is large-scale additive construction, additive manufacturing, an area that we could dive into was Mm -hmm. related to getting something through code officials and, Mm -hmm. and approving authority to say, how can we show that something that's been additively constructed meet uh, specific structural requirements? Will it stand up to the seismic zone, seismic requirements? Mm -hmm. And depending upon where you are in the world, where you are in the United States, different code officials may have a different opinion. Uh, We do know that for certain types of construction, maybe semi-permanent type Mm -hmm. of construction, that there are less restrictions on the types of approvals that need to go into it certainly we want to build something that is safe mm-hmm. and certainly we have people engineers if you will that understand the materials that are going into the additive process and specifying materials that meet code mm-hmm. uh, but that is a big question and I think Pat when when we talked previously you have shared some other anecdotes related to review and, and code challenges.
1: Yeah definitely we have a large center for infrastructure renewal here at Texas A&M. And obviously we have asphalt and concrete experts here at Texas Mm A&M. But one of the things that they identify is that the whole industry is biased towards concrete production. And construction is so risk averse that we don't typically want to use new materials. We don't want to innovate because we sort of associate innovation with the unknown. And when it comes to life safety or factor of safety on our buildings as as evidenced by some of the recent disasters in the news in Mexico with their metro line, the Florida International Pedestrian Bridge of Miami. Mm-hmm. There are all these challenges that we already know with all the codes and all the reviews that we currently have. There's still risk. And even one life loss uh, would be would be catastrophic but Mm -hmm. so just to get it to actually work is is really challenging and I I have seven different challenges that came from a a paper that was done by a young talented captain named Janae Mm Jagoda at the Air Force Institute of Technology working with Lieutenant Colonel Andy Hoisington and and she reviewed 3,699 papers wow but yeah from 1998 to 2018 and she found 281 that really nailed it down and, and did a classification of, of these. And the seven for the hardcore additive manufacturing people out there, you, you've all faced these challenges. But first would be material rheology. That's basically like the flowability. Mm-hmm. Then structural integrity, the anisotropic nature where it responds differently to forces in different axes. Process scalability. It's kind of a, a one off linear fashion, even though it, it could be mass produced. Suitability to adverse environments, but using in-situ resources, if, if that can be mastered, there's been a lot of work in that area. The complete automation of going from a BIM file or a SOLIDWORKS file or, or Revit file or other things is, is hard to do, although desired. Mm-hmm. Unknown environmental impacts that you're still using probably a Portland cement-based material, uh, which we know the challenges of that creating eight or 9% of the overall CO2 of greenhouse gases. And then just really uncertain costs because it hasn't been optimized, and so that all of these reasons are keeping it from being uh, wide widely adopted.
0: Mm. Now, Kurt, you've you've spoken before about materiality in the context of additive manufacturing. Can you explain for our audience what you mean by materiality and its relationship to AM?
2: Yeah, so I think of it like baking a cake. Uh, you you need four main ingredients. You need flour. You need sugar. You need eggs. You need butter.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Or more aligned to construction, like concrete, as was just described. You'll mm-hmm. need cement, aggregate, water, and admixtures. And so the materiality are the materials mix essentially mm-hmm. that you use to create a structurally sound end product. And then Patrick, you talked about the flowability. I mean, and, and the other six requirements of being able to have something that that can actually be in in the case of of what I've seen done extruded uh, through a nozzle and then emplaced layer by layer mm-hmm. on top of each other so that it does, uh, doesn't does just slump down and, and turn into a liquid when it's placed, it, it actually holds its structure. And mm-hmm. then thinking about the ability to self-support, mm-hmm. you know, and and I believe from, again, other research that I've spoken to, that looking at the types of printers that are being used to think about doing things like I mentioned earlier that are more organic. So if you have a free form multi-axis print head, uh, rather than a very rigid XYZ type printer, mm-hmm. you can start experimenting with designs from nature, which in themselves are, are much more appropriate for self-supporting structures. And that gets us out of the typical box of creating a box mm-hmm. and, and thinking about things that are, are much more avant-garde in, in terms of, of architecture. And so you have to get that mix right. You have to have something that is able to be supportive, but also you have to have the ability to place, potentially slide in rebar, use those additional materials that Patrick was talking about to to give you that structural integrity, whether it be a carbon fiber or other type of mesh reinforcement that you can really create these large multi-story structures with. Uh, Most of the work that I've seen done, done thus far are, single story smaller scale mm-hmm. but there are studies that are showing going beyond that printing multiple stories coupling multiple uh, structures together
0: mm-hmm. now you know Kurt, you know jacobs is doing a lot of work with nasa and so you know kind of on that theme of what you're saying about avant-garde construction and in situ uh, resources we're trying to assist NASA with building lunar and Martian bases and the, the idea of using like the lunar regolith, for instance, as building material. Uh, and then the same thing on Mars. You know, How do you see that work informing what can be done in the built environment here closer to home?
2: Yes. So much of the work that our Jacob Space Exploration Group has undertaken was related to that materiality that I just spoke of
1: mm-hmm. as
2: well as the printer head itself uh, and understanding that printer infrastructure the the device that's going to actually extrude and in, in place the materials that were formed up so i i can't speak completely intelligently about what our scientists that are working very closely with the team at NASA are doing because it is it is truly material science mm-hmm. and as you can imagine Someone has gone to the moon, extracted that material, brought it back to the lab, and they're analyzing that material and creating uh, simulated materials that that echo the same types of properties for, like you said, both uh, the moon and Mars. Mm-hmm. So understanding the way that that performs and they're doing that and in the lab. But beyond that, how, how do we expand? Right. How do we take it to the terrestrial environment? Mm-hmm. So. You know, there's certainly commercially, I call it commercially available products. Uh, I think of it just like what you said earlier, Patrick, the, the maker bots of the world, the desktop printers, whether it be a 2D inkjet, which then you kind of build on top of it, or a three-dimensional type printer mm-hmm. that you're printing with some type of material. And so I was pretty naive at the very beginning and thought that it would be fairly simplistic to scale that up, right? Take, take a design that you're modeling and push it into one of these large scale devices. There's obviously an art that goes into that. And so understanding from our teams that what those implications are Mm -hmm. and understanding that there are limits, there are bounds of uh, the machines that are available today, but also knowing that there are other ways of constructing, meaning using robot arms instead of a very rigid three-dimensional XYZ type printer.
0: Now, Patrick, you earlier, you had mentioned uh, Portland cement and, you know, you were talking about that it had some environmental impacts. And, you know, I understand that in terrestrial construction, Portland cement's fairly standard material, but it's also a contributor to uh, CO2 emissions. So how can additive manufacturing allow us to use other materials that might be more environmentally friendly?
1: Well, you're still going to have that same recipe that Kurt mentioned earlier you've got the the ostensible gravel and the gravel glue it but the gravel glue doesn't have to be Portland cement it could be geopolymers it could be anything that will activate as a binding agent to bring the material together and the exciting part about that is if you are tied to your flow mm-hmm. you can actually the feedstock that you feed into the additive manufacturing into the 3d printing process you can change that to exactly align with the Climatic conditions, the the day, the temperature, and so you can highly customize your mix design to suit the day. So it'll cure faster, cure slower. Uh, You can really tune in, add mixtures to it the level that a chemist would love. And there's a lot of different IP research going into the material methodology, but then also into the mix itself. That's those are probably the two biggest areas on this this research. If not the the space research, which I can get into a little bit more later, maybe mm-hmm. uh, the two big areas are the material and then the material methodology. And so, the reason why Portland cement is so bad for uh, the environment is that you need an incre- incredible amount of energy to pull out the limestone to to get the material, uh, the the pozzolans that help with the chemical and physical curing of concrete. That's all achieved through loads and loads of joules input into the clinker and the material that eventually becomes portland cement and because of all that energy that's what helps activate that process and so you're going to have to find something else that has as much potential energy as portland cement and that's just very hard to do it'd be like trying to pour a coke into your car engine as opposed to some gasoline which has been optimized to do the job portland cement is is human designed and created to optimize that gravel glue job and it's hard to find a geopolymer that is comparable to Portland cement, but there's been a lot of work out there on things uh, that also exist in the state of Texas. As long as I'm giving Texas a plug, Uh, the caliche clays and the types of things that cause a lot of trouble. Sometimes if harnessed can be that process stimulant to, to help catalyze a process that would be comparable to traditional Portland cement curing.
0: Now, Kurt, let me ask you, um, how can additive manufacturing be used as a complement to traditional construction?
2: Oh, good question. And I think to, to lead into that, we're we're starting to see much more uh, use of construction robotics mm-hmm. on project sites. So everything from the Hadrian X, which is a brick laying robot, to uh, Boston Dynamics, who has a, a robotic dog that roams project sites and is able to help capture mm-hmm. project data. Uh, using 3D laser scanners. Um, I think that's a, a gateway into larger scale additive manufacturing and additive construction. And the other thing where I think it's going in mm-hmm. terms of a complement to the traditional mm-hmm. is that you can look at it as a, it's not all or nothing. So you don't need to additively manufacture the entire facility or building. You can start to look at the component scale. And I think that was another recent revelation that we had is that we could start to look at parts and pieces, whether it be a piece of a facade or an interior condition
0: mm-hmm. where
2: you do want to use that more avant garde type approach to designing. And you can use the 3D additive manufacturing as a way to, to place that material and, and position it on site. into to our anecdote before, to really sculpt something mm-hmm. uh, that you you would have to have an artisan do that using honing it from a piece of material. Mm-hmm. And so now we have that ability to, to use smaller scale component scale additive manufacturing to achieve similar results and maybe even add more art in architecture mm-hmm. to what we do and deliver.
0: That's interesting. I imagine too, that it, it, in some instances, anyway, it may be, you may also save on time that it may be quicker to deploy uh, additive manufacturing in certain instances and you know doing something manually that might re- require a lot more dexterity and skill and you know more time to to actually to bring bring about now patrick i uh i have seen before in relation to 3d printing stories about how the military is using 3d printing i think for um basic structures and stuff on on base camps and things like that um could you talk a little bit about how additive manufacturing is being used in the military built environment and uh, you know, how is it helping them with their needs?
1: Yeah, definitely. I just have to have you sign a waiver to strap in for I'm about to use lots of acronyms. Because <laughs> you, you know how the military is about that. But uh, so the Army Corps of Engineers, ERDC, the Engineer Research and Development uh, Center mm-hmm. and the, the Construction Engineering and Research Lab, I think, as you say, ERDC Searle at uh, in Illinois is probably one of the furthest along in this. And Jacobs is no stranger. I think they were also part of this project. They had several projects that it, it seems like the real nexus or the stimulus of all this activities in 2015. That's also similarly when they started was 2015. And mm-hmm. uh, some of the things that they've done in conjunction uh, with firms like Jacobs and also Caterpillar mm-hmm. uh, is the automated construction of expeditionary structures experiment aces mm-hmm. and it's kind of like a large bee hut and a, a bee hut if you can imagine is just like a standard military one-story building that's about the same size as a gp medium tent which is about 20 feet by 32 feet approximately those uh, dimensions but they've done several things they've done just some guard checks uh, they've done different ways of doing these but the, the part that they've always focused on there were expeditionary and so it had to, the part that i like is that it had to be Easy to use for, in the military, people move all around all the time. And so you might be coming from a unit that had one piece of equipment, but didn't have another. Mm-hmm. And so their challenge that they've done is they're, they're trying to make it a lot more approachable and able for anyone to consume with, with minimal training.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: that's some of the, the work that's been done in the military. Another one would be ICON has a project they're doing right now at Camp Swift, which is going to be a three-story additive manufactured facility. And if you go to most military installations, those post-World War II three-story facilities, those are kind of our bread and butter. These have a, a central common core entrance at the the front middle. And then there's either exterior walkways or uh, exterior staircases. Mm-hmm. And ICON is really one of the leaders here in Texas, as well as the world. They're, they're out of Austin and another thing that ICON is working on, as opposed to the the small houses that they've built in the affordable housing communities of Tabasco, Mexico, mm-hmm. they know that in order to break into the the market, you're gonna need a, a high-end product as well. And so one of the things they're doing is sort of like a stem wall that's 3D printed. So imagine replacing a, a bottom portion of a house that could be CMU or cast in place. That part would have the the design appeal and also the structural stability but then they can build with traditional means and methods on top of that, but not dissimilar to a multifamily project that you might see with shear walls built out of CMU, mm-hmm. wooden timber stick built construction in other areas, and then even metal studs someplace. So that that it's that we're adding to cast in place, precast, or now 3D printed, of manufactured as as a process and an ability. And so I definitely agree with Kurt when it doesn't have to be all or nothing.
0: Mm. My last question for today, uh, for you, Kurt, is where do you see additive manufacturing technology headed in the near future, and what are the potential use cases that loom on the horizon?
2: Yeah, so Paul, I have a few um, answers for that. And Pat, you, you touched on it just a second ago, mm-hmm. but building on is the fully additive manufactured communities going that way. I think it's just a matter of time before folks get over those hurdles that we discussed with the materiality, with the code reviews, mm-hmm. with being able to, to print larger types of structures. So so that's one is the additive manufacturer communities. And the second one is is in a similar vein, but it's it's tying back to disaster relief. So how can we use this to rapidly deploy in situations where we need to get people that have been part of a any type of natural disaster mm-hmm. back into a habitable facility. And so something like this is, is certainly more a humanitarian type effort. Mm-hmm. And especially when you can use those local materials that you're not ascending, you're not trying to source concrete. You're able to use things that are local uh, mm-hmm. potentially. And, and the fact that your designs can be relatively repeatable if, if you, if you wanted to running it through a machine, running it through the computer, um, mm-hmm. uh, multi, um, producing multiple facilities.
0: And Patrick, you know, I've got the same question for you. You know, where do you see additive manufacturing technology headed in the near future? And and what are the potential use cases?
1: Thanks, Paul. I totally agree with what Kurt said. And also just to add on to that, it exploded in 2015 with interest and especially with the publishing of the ASTM ISO standard. Mm -hmm. And then there was a large scale in city resource utilization additive manufacturing conference held by NASA in 2015 and then also one in Arlington in 2017 mm-hmm. and if we're not careful we're i mean we're just we're going to fizzle out on some of the momentum that additive manufacturing has has started and it's just really kind of at the 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 peak of the crest as far as mass customization or mass adoption and mm-hmm. so I, I again, I, I think you need to look at different options where you can sort of wade into the waters. Because if, if I'm just looking at this picture, even behind my head, mm-hmm. if you look at a traditional slip form paver system, that in essence is really extruding and additively manufacturing concrete, which is used very frequently, especially for DOT projects in the state of Texas, which are essentially long concrete ribbons of rebar cages that are making up our large highway infrastructure. And so we need to find the 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 marriage of a Gomaco or a Caterpillar or a company who can make equipment mm. with processes and products that are standardized enough and in line with standards so that we can make it easier to achieve to hopefully realize all these these hopes and wishes that we have for better environmentally sustainable and less crew complement, higher education and abilities for the the people who are working with the equipment and and just always bigger, better, faster, stronger. Mm-hmm. And so it 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 has these potential benefits, but they have not been realized yet. And so that's that's the danger with something like this is that if it if it was big in 2017 and right now all we're doing is talking about it in 2021, then we're not going to see it get a large market share.
0: Mm-hmm. Interesting. Well, hopefully that won't happen. It won't go the uh, the route of nuclear fusion, which I think has been like decades in the making, you know, it goes back to the 70s. So in comparison, additive manufacturing is still, of course, in its early days. But and I suspect, too, that as it's you combine the power of additive manufacturing with things like generative design and AI and, you know, you're starting to see things like the idea of smart concrete you know, embedded sensors and concrete and roadways to help, you know, with data transference for like automated vehicles and stuff. I I have a feeling that all this technology is going to cooperate with each other and help push each other further along. So we will see, but, uh, Well, Patrick and Kurt, uh, I want to thank you both so much for your time today uh, and sharing your insights on additive manufacturing. I I really appreciate it, and I'm looking forward to uh, learning more and and seeing how, how it develops. So thank you. Thanks so much, Paul. Thank you, Paul.